You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 147, as far as the NFL and then there were four. An incredible weekend. Uh, you know, I think Saturday's games were a little bit different. Sunday brought you all the excitement you could possibly want out of two games. Everybody glued to the televisions. Uh, brings us down. Vikings, Eagles, Patriots, Jaguars. Uh, I think the country as a whole probably has a rooting interest. I know on the East Coast here, not everybody's in love with Philly. Uh, everybody thinks that the Patriots have had their slices of the pie. But, you know, look, everybody's option, everybody, you know, everybody has the option to, not the option, everybody's got their opportunity here now. Great opportunities for all four of these franchises. You know, whether it's getting your first piece of the pie, whether it's just cementing how great you are, should be a fun Sunday coming up here as we go on. But for our beloved Cleveland Browns, it is on to the future yet again, as we've been talking about. Uh, I brought with me today to talk about, and this was a fantastic piece, and, uh, you know, I kind of pumped it a couple times over the last couple days. Ollie Conley, senior football analyst over at Cox Media, did a fantastic job breaking down the college quarterbacks. And as I mentioned to him, you know, before we said, before we started recording, is what I loved about this most is is you know he kind of went to each guy, and you know, look, there was something really good from each guy's type of uh, each guy's game, and that's why I really like about this piece that he did here. So uh, I'm going to introduce Ollie here. Uh, obviously, Ollie, some thoughts on the weekend about you know maybe some thoughts you might have going into Sunday's games. But, uh, you know, please, I, I, I couldn't couldn't be more, you know, happy that you took some time out here for you. And I'm really excited to talk about this piece that you put up. Oh, man, anytime. Anytime you can bring some positivity to a Cleveland Browns podcast, I, that's probably a good thing. Right? That, <laughs> I guess that helps. That's what, that's what I've tried to bring here. And it's, <laughs> you know, and I know these guys are downtrodden, but it was not a bad product that was put on this field. I liked the path it was on. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was, I was unhappy that they moved on from Sashi Brown. I thought he drafted well. But look, it is what it is. But I think they've improved the front office. So that part I can't take issue with because I think it's a better front office now than what it was. No, and you look at the weekend and it can only inspire confidence if that's possible uh, in Cleveland, given the way those teams are constructed, which is, look, it's tough to find 11 great players on defense than find the one quarterback. I get that, but three of those teams are built that way. Uh, some of those teams have suffered injuries at quarterback. Oh, they've all suffered injuries at quarterback or just have a poor quarterback themselves. Uh, only one of them has the, the dual-headed monster there, the, the coach and great coach, great quarterback. So um, you would hope those games inspire confidence. Ridiculous weekend, and I'm looking forward to, to this championship Sunday. It's, it's exciting. And I, I heard what you said there. I reckon... Would you not say the Vikings are like the national team's pick just because they're hosting the Super Bowl? That's kind of the vibe I'm feeling, that people are, are into this Vikings run. And, and if it wasn't, uh, I think it became it on Sunday with the Stefan Diggs play. Because, I mean, and even in my house, you know, my wife, I can't believe she threw his helmet. I'm like, look, we're lucky <laughs> Stefan Diggs is still wearing clothes right now. <laughs> I mean, he, I don't think anybody would have cared if he just decided it it all came off because... It was just that much of a, you know, it was just an out of this world. I mean, you know, the, what was the percentage? You know, ninety, you know, ninety nine point nine 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 nine. That the game is over. You know, Marcus Williams, a guy I truly feel for. You know, I don't know exactly what was going through his head at the time, but that's what makes sports great. It's what makes it the ultimate reality show that it is. Um, but look, here it is, Cleveland, and it, it seems it's kind of the story every year. Need a quarterback. Got to get a quarterback. Um, I think this year is going to be kind of interesting because we're going to get a decent free agent group and but we're going to have a really deep draft class you know some of these guys that you speculated on everybody wants to talk about the top six 
Uh, I, I know you put Mike White in your article. My guys over at PFF, that's a, he's a guy they keep clamoring for and hammering down, and they've been on me for a year and a half on him, a guy who's not getting the love he probably deserves there. Um, but when you sat down and started this, I mean, I know you tried to, you know, take it easy as far as, you know, giving out awards to, you know, Baker Mayfield. Otherwise, it would have ended up like, you know, the Oscars and Titanic. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, you know, I guess we'll start here because this is the one most people don't want to talk about. And we mentioned this before we started. Lamar Jackson. Um, it, now, if you watch the last three weeks of the NFL regular season and you see guys like Bryce Petty playing and guys of that ilk and that nature. But yet we have people telling us that Lamar Jackson better start learning to run some pass routes. It's mind-boggling to me, and the fact is, is over a three-year period at Louisville, you saw nothing but you know strong improvement through the three years of an athlete becoming a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. The idea that you look at the quarterbacks that are in the league and the guys that were starting, even if it's not the starters, but just the backups, the to think this guy wasn't isn't one of the 64 best quarterbacks on earth is you're bonkers if you don't think that's the sure. case. Um, this is a guy who can do something no other quarterback around walking the planet can do. He can put moves on defenders no one else can do. Um, I wrote a, a deep dive feature on him earlier this year because I don't think people quite comprehend how complex, how intricate the system he runs is from a passing standpoint. And he gets given the knock of running quarterback and you know, running some of the veer stuff that they do, some of the, the, the read stuff they do, as though that's a true negative rather than being like, well, why would you not just install that at the next level? That's silly. Like, why would you not put in something that makes him just as, as deadly as he is and forces people to put extra defenders in the box, therefore making it easier to throw? This guy is running full field reads. He's operating at the line of scrimmage just as much as any of the, the other top guys. Like, he is doing complex uh, calls at the line of scrimmage, adjusting based on the strength of formation. He's basically given license on every play to flip the play and flip the strength, which a lot of these guys, it's just go, go, go and get the ball out. They don't have any responsibilities. They turn to the sidelines, the Stephen A. Smith card, and so they, they means go to outside zone, and so they do that. Uh, he's done asked to do a lot more than he's given credit for, and he's done it uh, as well as you could possibly do. And I think one of the things, and I've been talking about this with some Browns guys, is the problem is, is if we're going to keep getting these recycled old coaches who are still running the same system they've been running for 20 years, but you look at like what the Rams did. They went, hired, you know, Sean McVay, a young guy at his age who had this whole playbook that people were like, well, we don't want to see that part of it. We like what you do. But it, maybe if people started to shift from what they're used to and maybe try to, to change what has been done for all these years, and look, these guys are all still available because... It's never really worked out for him. So you need to, if you compare him, you know, with a young guy like a Sean McVay who says, you want to know what? I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. I have my base stuff, but I can't wait to get started for what I can do now once I have a guy like this behind my center. Uh, the, the problem, the thing that is fair with Lamar, the only criticism that's fair is the slight size concern. I can see if you're a GM and you stand near him, you say, I don't really want Joey Bosa running into that guy at full speed. That would concern me if my job's on the line and that's the case. I do get that. But the upside far outweighs any of concerns that, you know, Brady can pop his ACL on just, you know, uh, just an unlucky play. That can happen in the league. So I, to me, it's all positive. And I think what you're saying there about kind of the, the evolution of the league from a schematic and stylistic standpoint 
the the great test case of this is going to be Matt Nagy in Chicago. He said, "I want to run the spread option. We've been running it in Cleveland, the Cle- uh, in sorry, in Kansas City. Kansas has basically been running Clemson's offense for two years, and no one really noticed until this season. So they started doing some uh, pitch toss stuff and some pitch option stuff. People, are like, oh, that's interesting. That's new. They've been running Clemson's playbook for two years. Um, and Nagy said, "Go get me Mark Helfrich. I want Oregon's old coach, and let's go run the spread option." And if you're an organization, that's what you're going to have to commit to with Lamar Jackson. If you do so, I think you'd have excellent results. Yeah, and exactly. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of the league from the defensive side of the ball, they're not ready for this because it's not what anybody's seen. So it's an interesting take. I mean, you know, if you really want to, you know, bring some excitement to a franchise and do something different, I do think one other thing that I would say along with you as far as, you know, if, God forbid, you know, Lamar ended up, with, you know, getting Joey Bosa, so to speak, is – can you find, uh, you know, a Lamar Jackson light? Well, who can I have as a quarterback too? Who can do some of the things? You know, if I'm losing Lamar Jackson, do I? You know, am I losing fifty percent of my offense? Am I losing thirty-five percent? Am I losing seventy percent? Or mm-hmm. can I pair somebody else into the system who can do what he does? I mean, there's not many guys on earth who can move the way he does <laughs> at that position. That's the problem. Uh, I've long said this is kind of more of a, a more of a philosophical point, but if you're one of these dead end teams, and you're going into the season with quarterback X. We all know stinks, or you're trying to like develop the young guy behind the old guy. Uh, there's there's room here for really off the wall thinking. I I hope Sashi Brown would do it. He did. You know, kind of played the math with the draft, but didn't do a whole, didn't really impose on the organization brand new ways of thinking. If you want to commit the spread option, as much as people want to say the read option is gone or whatever, it, it's such an asinine statement. The read option is a numbers game. That's all it is. It's, the only reason the league doesn't run it as often is because they're scared of their guy getting hit. But if you commit to it and say, we're going to bring in three guys who we think can run it, you know, the co- college is giving you 20 of them every year. We'll just keep rotating who the guys are. You truly commit to it. I think it's possible to run it for the long term. I, I do as well. And, you know, it, it comes with advantages as well. You know, obviously you're going to get yourself in weather situations and things of that nature. So I, I think it works out in that scenario. Uh, the one name, obviously, who, you know, took home a bunch of, you know, if we want to call these awards, the Ollies, one name. And this is the guy I think should be the first quarterback taken. Because um, if you're talking about it as, as, you know, who can handle the pocket, who do you think is the best pure passer? Um, you know, Josh, Josh Rosen, for me, I, I think it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear that I think for me and my, from what I watch, from everything you're looking for in an NFL quarterback, Josh Rosen brings that. So give me your thoughts here on Josh. Obviously, you know, the hot shot out of L.A. Yeah, I'm surprised he's not more of a runaway guy for the number one overall pick, uh, partly because he's excellent, as you said, the pocket presence, the anticipation, and then just running a lot of the nuances the league will love because of the style of system he was playing in. And by the way, having some of that new age stuff, he, he does a lot of the RPO stuff. It's just that it's not as obvious because a lot of it's box RPO, so reading the box rather than reading a player. That's more of what the league does anyway. The league isn't doing a ton of, of uh, read RPOs at the moment. Um, so I would have thought he would be the runaway guy, but I think there's kind of a Carson Wentz syndrome hanging over the draft and particularly uh, media folks at this time of year of trying to find the next guy who either comes from nowhere or is a little bit raw. And therefore, if we can gamble on that being the guy and it pays off, it makes everyone's careers. Um, now, I see the argument. For, I think Baker Mayfield is staggering. As you said before, I, I limited him in this piece because – I wrote such a long piece about him earlier in the year. I was worried his family would get a restraining order on me if I continued to <laughs> bloviate about how great he is. Um, 
I see no reason why he cannot be a superstar at the next level. I think Rosen has superstar abilities. Um, and so either one of them, I think, uh, you would have to change a lot with Mayfield, which is the concern. Whereas Rosen, it is just plug and play and let's go. And that's where I think if you're Cleveland in particular, I mean, you've just been dying for that. And, you know, and that was the other thing. And, you know, people are now, you know, with the, oh, well, he said he didn't want to play here. No, he said maybe if it would be a better situation for him if he went a little later. You know, Miles Garrett last season talked about, well, Dallas would be fun. Well, of course, you know, it's where he grew up. Um, you know, I think you sit him down, you bring Miles Garrett with you, you know, you bring some of the Cleveland Browns with you. I mean, you talk with the kid, you get inside his head. Uh, at the end of the day, and, and this is the part that people, it seemed like they wanted to focus on him saying that. But nobody focused on the part of, you know, Josh Rosen said, I want to play quarterback in the NFL and I want to make a lot of money. Well, if you go number one, you'll make a lot of money. <laughs> if you go to a franchise that is starving to be a winner, and I will tell you right now, if he came in here and this team was 9-7 and seven by year two and sift a wild card, they'd be saying, all right, well, can we move LeBron James's bus <laughs> to the left just a little bit and we can find a – there we go. That's where we're going to put the Josh Rosen one. The first player ever to have his jersey retired before the end of his rookie contract. That's what he would do. <laughs> uh, it, he, that, that type of stuff, I mean, the Rosen stuff irritates me because I like different attitudes and the league is hell-bent on having this militaristic approach where guys should be seen and not heard. And it's so bizarre to me. Rosen, look, Rose, you're going to have to get to a particular organization because Rosen is not backwards and coming forwards. Some people perceive it as arrogance. I see it as intelligence and he knows himself and he knows how smart he is. He is a guy who will say to a coach, well, why are we doing that? Explain to me. And if you're a coach, I would take that as a challenge. It's okay. This is why. But a lot of these guys take it as kind of, you know, an attack on their credibility or whatever it is. As though there's this idea where you have this, you know, top-down structure where your position means you are therefore so intelligent. So the player could not possibly be smarter than the quarterback coach. And then the quarterback coach, you know, the OC is smarter than him and the head coach is smarter than him. Isn't it possible that the quarterback is actually really intelligent and can see stuff? And maybe just maybe there's a reason why UCLA fired Jim Moore and paid him $10 million not to coach for the team. Like it, it, To me, it's just, it's, it's so silly, the attacks on Rosen's, uh, not necessarily the, the intellect itself, but how that impacts his game. He's smart, and he can do other things. This isn't all he has to do. doesn't mean he doesn't want to do it. And who's ever said that people have to love what they do to be excellent at it? There are a bunch of players who will take your coaching and will love the game and stink. <laughs> and I'd rather have the guy who's very good. Exactly. And this is one thing. Now, I, when I, now I talk with my parents. I have two daughters, 11 and about to be 10. You know, and I talk about sitting down, doing homework. And you know, my parents are like, well, you know, whatever. It was just easy. I was like, you don't get it. My daughter is 11 years old. I said, she's in fifth grade. She's doing homework and schoolwork that I did when I was 13 and in seventh grade. Just a generational thing. Kids, you may say, oh, he's a 21-year-old kid. He's not educated like a 21-year-old kid. He is 10 times more intelligent than, you know, if you're a 60-year-old NFL front office man or a football coach, him at 21 and you at 21, it is a light year different the way these kids are being taught these days. So the fact that they are so much smarter at a younger age, it's not a negative thing. I mean, look, first off, it should be a great thing. I mean, you, you want, you know, you want young people, you want them as smart as possible, as young as possible, so they can learn and see the world and make the correct decisions that they want to make that fit their lives. And that's the most confusing thing to me. And, but maybe that also gets back to the, you know, the same recycling of the same guys in the same positions. Yeah. And now, 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 if you look, you know, that's where you get a guy like Sean McVay. 
So he sits down with Jared Goff and he talks. It's not more of a, you know, a mentor protege thing. It's an equal thing. Okay. This is what I like to call, you're telling me it didn't work. Okay. Well, Jared, what, what are you seeing that isn't, isn't making it work as opposed to the old football coach stuff? Well, I call the plays, you run the plays, that type of stuff. Well, you look at the difference between Goff and uh, McVeigh and then Kaiser and Jackson. You've got Jackson throwing Kaiser under the bus every week, crushing him in the press. Whereas, as you said, McVeigh goes to Goff and they say, let's just be a partnership. They installed so many things from Cal. You know, the sleeper receiver stuff you would never dream of seeing in the NFL. How would we, why would we have a receiver not run around? That's crazy. Uh, because we want to go fast. And what's the point in having him run around if we're only reading half the field? Like, that's why. Um, <laughs> so it's... Yeah, I'm with you on that. And the one that annoys me with Rosen is we're going to get the anonymous sources throughout the season, and it's going to be a lot of Cutler. And I find that so offensive to a guy who is that intelligent. I'm not saying that Cutler isn't intelligent, but their personalities are so different. Have you ever heard anything where Rosen just didn't turn up to the locker room? And he may be aloof because he isn't into the same stuff as football guys are into. Maybe he doesn't want to play table tennis in the locker room. Maybe he wants to go and listen to music or play tennis or whatever he wants to do. Does that make him a bad guy? No, he has different interests than regular football people. I don't see why that's so offensive to people. And I think with Rosen, he genuinely wants to shatter the mold of quarterbacks. I think he takes it as like a personal challenge to break the convention of what a quarterback is. You can't do that by being bad. You have to be LeBron James. LeBron James shatters the mold of what an NBA player is. You, you can only do that by being great. And I do think Rosen wants to be great at a quarterback in the NFL. Okay. Now, before we move on, obviously, uh, guys, you're listening to Locked On Browns episode 147. Uh, guys, Locked On Vikings, Locked On Eagles. Uh, I've heard there's a big one uh, Sunday night about 6.30 or so. So uh, check out both shows. The guy, I know the guys are ridiculously excited about getting a cover and set up a week for the shows leading into an NFC Championship game with the Super Bowl berth on the line. So by all means, go ahead and check out Locked On Vikings, Locked On Eagles. It, it's it's going to be some good times. I know the guys are really fired up about all that. Now we're going to go across town to L.A. And this is actually kind of interesting because in your piece here, um, not as noted was the USC quarterback, Sam Darnold. Uh, I think he's highly thought of. He's uh, I've had plenty of draft guys on the show, whether it's the Matt Millers, the Dane Bruglers of the world, the Eric Alcos. Everyone seems to be extremely high on Sam Darnold. Something was a little bit of a shock that he did end up declaring, uh, but but Sam seems a little absent here from uh, absent here from your piece, Ali. So give me some thoughts here on Sam on and how he didn't you know make a bigger you know some bigger noise here. Yeah, it's not a massive knock on him. It's just that he would come you know if you're doing the category second or third in some of them, and therefore you're going to fall out. Lamar Jackson's more wow than he is, and so on. And he's a good RPO throw, but Baker Mayfield's better and that type of stuff. Um, I like Sam Donald. He has that kind of swashbuckling playing style, and he can make something out of nothing, and he just finds a way to figure out plays. Um, I think playing within structure is a problem for him. I think learning to know when a play is dead is a problem for him. And the Ohio State tape, if I was a team drafting him, expecting him to play year one would terrify me because that was an NFL team with NFL talent running an NFL defense, and they baited him twice into terrible throws that he did not see coming himself, and that would concern me. Um, the pick six is the most common RPO beater in the world, and he did not see it coming and threw the pick. He just threw the ball blindly to a pick six. So uh, I like him, as I said. If you get to third down, who can make plays on third down? If your quarterback can do that, 
you're going to have a good team. That's special. If the guy can do all kinds of stuff on third down, and he can do, but just standing in the pocket consistently, hitting the back foot, getting the ball out, playing with rhythm, throwing with anticipation, diagnosing, running full field reads, I just don't quite see all of it. I do think there needs to be more refinement. I'd rather, by the way, he goes and has that year of refinement in the league getting paid than go back to school. I always find it a silly notion. Why would he go back and run the exact same system and magically get better the next year? That makes no sense. Um, go to the team you're going to eventually play for and spend a year learning their playbook and running their plays. And especially if his year two was a little bit more difficult than his year one at USC. So then you would be like, well, you, I mean, that's where you would really advise him. Well, maybe it's time to get out of there because whatever's being done there, you know, it hasn't progressed your game. It's kind of, you know, put your game at basically a stalemate for now. So, you know, that was interesting the way you brought that up and broke that down. Um, nobody has done anything more for their game, uh, I would say, over the last season and a half of the NFL than Baker Mayfield. You know, he was a guy who looked like a really fun college quarterback. You know, obviously Texas Tech had his little cup of coffee there, got on out, got himself into a top shelf, you know, obviously, you know, predominant, you know, year in, year out, top 10 program. But Baker Mayfield, the only little thing that concerns me is, is the size, and I think the hand size is going to go along with that too. But, I mean, you sit and you watch Baker Mayfield. He is a hard guy not to sell on an owner, a GM, a fan base. What he did this year was just, I mean, it was, you know, blew people away. Yeah, and he would change your organization day one. He has that kind of Wentz ability where Wentz went into the Eagles. The organizational culture was just different the next day. Um, and I think, and his would be more of a recklessness, you know, almost like channeling Jalen Ramsey type stuff, I would guess. But why not let that be the, you know, the identity of your organization if, it, if, he, if they play and win the height does not bother me at all that the height is a problem if they're in the pocket and they can't manipulate the pocket and they can't slip and slide and they can't create openings themselves and you have to do it by sliding the offensive line and splitting linemen and playing with wider splits which is what they do at the college level most of the time so they'll just widen the two tackles so that there's better sight line on, on quick timing stuff He's not had to do that at Oklahoma. He could slip and slide and create stuff and throw from weird arm angles. It's kind of that breezy ability in the pocket. And then we've seen him do the Russell Wilson stuff, which is the comp that will probably come to him. He's as good throwing on the move as anyone in the class. I think far and away the best throw on the move in the country. The RPO stuff, he's on a whole other level. They ran such an intricate system at Oklahoma of first, second, and third level reads, which if you don't install that for Mayfield at the next level, you are doing yourself a disservice because the guy's ability to process and get rid of the ball in a lightning quick fashion after having a quick read is exceptional. So to me, if the only concern is height, I'd rather that be my concern than whether the guy can throw with timing or anticipation or if he's good enough or if he can diagnose coverages. If the only issue is the size, then to me that's not even really a problem. Yeah, which I can understand. You know, I, I, I'm totally with you, and I get that there. And you know, it's you know, look, you can't teach the size, but in the same respect, though, you can't teach you know a Josh Allen to read a field the way Baker Mayfield already does. Um, you know, and you saw, and the thing I do like at Oklahoma is you saw that he succeeded with all different types. You know, the small jackrabbit deep wide receivers, the big huge tight end. You know, made Flowers a really, you know, sought-after draft guy because people are going to want to find a way to fit him in because they saw what they did, you know, whether it was, you know, using him as a fullback, some H-back type of stuff. There's a lot you can do with him. And then you look at second and long and third and long and what you can do with Baker Mayfield. You know, he's, you know, some offensive coordinator is going to have a lot of fun with him. Now, um, why does nobody bring up Mike White, but yet we are still – inundated day in and day out with the talk of Joshua Allen from Wyoming. 
Um, the Josh Allen one is, I mean, he makes plays that you don't even think are imaginable. It's like, wait, what? What did he do? <laughs> like when you're watching the tape, you're trying to figure out, okay, I pause it because his mechanics are so rough. I'll pause him to see what the footwork's like and how he's winding up and, and all the, the small intricacies of the position. And then I'm trying to picture, okay, now where's he throwing the ball? And all of a sudden it will be 40 yards downfield across his body with, off platform with two feet in the air. And it's like, okay, that's weird. And then he can take off and run around the same way Donald can. So I, as much as people have banged on him, I, I kind of get it from the NFL standpoint. Again, I think it's the Wentz fever of trying to find that next guy. Um, I don't think he's that guy personally. Whereas Mike White, this is a guy who I put in the piece of him as the best rhythm thrower kind of because I just wanted to include him in there. Um, and talk about him a little bit. He he probably will be a long-term spot starter, kind of swing backup type guy. But rhythm throws, full field reads, and the biggest thing, which is the same with Baker, by the way, Baker's biggest development was going from accurate throws to precise throws where guys can run after the catch and making certain throws against certain coverage principles, understanding if I put the ball here, my guy's going to get smashed and we may lose the ball. Whereas if I put it here, he can twist his body and fall for a first down. Massive difference. Some will think it's an off-target throw. It's a throw against a coverage principle, and you see it down in, down out from Mike White, and you see the relentless rhythm and accuracy. Uh, I think a coaching staff is going to fall in love with that guy as maybe their second-round pick or a third-round pick, a guy who they feel confident handing the playbook on day one, and if we need him, he can go play. And, you know, you put into your piece, you know, obviously, you know, with the PFF, the adjusted completion set percentage, I know it was north of 75%. I, was, I want to say it was 77 or 78, which is just ridiculous. I mean, I don't care the level of, you know, FBS ball you're playing. A completion percentage adjusted to that rate is insane. Yeah, he's third best in the country. And I think Josh Allen's was 55. That's 20% more balls are being completed. Um, so, yeah, maybe you get this spectacular throw from... Uh, from whomever it could be Donald or whoever you want to go to but White is going to just relentlessly complete throws and we know the league we're just talking about it they aren't really all about the guys who run around and have fun and make plays um, maybe they should be but they love the guys who hit the back foot and get the ball out and why not because it just keeps the offense on time and in rhythm and I thought the most staggering thing about just the numbers around Mike White the offense was bad it finished 77th in S&P plus but on third down and on passing downs, they were 21st in the country because, like I said, he just hits the back foot and it's all about rhythm. And he has this weird release where the ball gets on you quicker than you think. And DBs do not break on it as they probably should do. So I, I think he's going to be a guy who, as I said, I think coaching staffs are going to fall in love with him. Uh, okay, guys, as I said, obviously championship game Sunday. Uh, Pat's Jaguars to kick it all off. Uh, you know, Mark Schofield with the New England Patriots, Lockdown Patriots show, does a fantastic job. Zach, uh, Zach Goodall and Chris Thornton, they do a fantastic job with Locked On Jaguars. Uh, I know the guys are excited. Uh, they had their plans for, you know, covering the All-Star Game circuit and doing shows like that. And we were talking about them like, well, guys, what, what if you're still playing for my buddies at the Locked On Jaguars? Uh, so it's a tough spot for them, you know, because, you know, this time of year, you know, guy, if you're covering the Jaguars, you're used to covering the offseason and getting better, but, you know, still alive. But check out both shows, Locked On Patriots, Locked On Jags. I know those guys have a bunch of great stuff in store this week so by all means check out both of those now Ali if I was asked you to board these quarterbacks your draft board for your war room give me your top five wow it's a big question um I think I'd have Mayfield and Rosen one two in kind of a tier by themselves um oof, it's tough 
Hmm. Uh, see, I want to put Lamar third because I believe in him. Um, I probably should put Donald third, but no one's holding me to this. I'm not going to lose my job over it. So I'll go. <laughs> I'll put Lamar third, Donald fourth, um, and then who should I put fifth? Hmm. Man, this is tough. Um, I guess I'll put. I guess I'll put Alan fifth for now. Okay. Do you? Well, obviously you're not drafting him. Do you see how many quarterbacks? We didn't bring up Mason Rudolph. How many quarterbacks do you think are going to see a round one selection? Um, I think for sure you're going to get Allen, Rosen, Mayfield, and Donald. Um, I do think the league is going to have um, Jackson's skepticism. I think he's a candidate for the late trade-in, you know, someone at 30 or 31. moving And get that fifth year. Yeah, and get the fifth-year option precisely in case he does take off. Um so I think you see the, those main guys go and then Jackson as the bubble guy, which, look, he's going to have the most ludicrous combine in quarterback history. And as silly as it is, teams do, like, fetishize that, and they will go gaga over that for a few weeks. And if he blows them away in interviews, which he will do, uh, not just with his manner, but as I said, the, the system he ran was just Bobby Petrino's NFL offense at Louisville. It was NFL stuff. So I think he'll wow on the whiteboard as well a team could be like, okay, let's go get that guy with the fifth-year option. Yeah, exactly. I think we'll end up with maybe even five. Uh, I feel bad here, but you know what? Uh, I don't want to leave anybody out, but Mason Rudolph, you know, uh, I, I like what he did. I like the fact that he played with NFL size. I thought he learned how to throw with that size, you know, with Washington, with Aitman. Uh, so give some thoughts on here, because I know there's some teams, uh, you know, I know a lot of Buffalo Bills fans have a lot of eyes on him with one of their two first-round selections. So some thoughts on Mr. Rudolph at Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think he's smart, and I think that he, he although he's one of those guys, again, who suffers with some arm arrogance, and yet he leaves throws in the field, arm arrogance being when I'll just fit it in regardless. I don't need, uh, mechanical stuff is for, you know, is for nerds. I'll just throw it in there with my arm. Josh Allen does that a bunch. So does Rosen, by the way. They'll just try and force balls in that they shouldn't because of their arm. Um, but I think he processes things pretty quickly because it's a ton of RPO stuff, and that's nice. I just have big concerns about his ability to move, not just in terms of the rolling stuff, that's fine, but the movement in the pocket itself isn't great. Um, and then just the field vision, um, you know, full field reads and that the actual scheme you'd be running is, is somewhat limited. So it probably again falls in that Mike White range of spot starter, swing type player, um, which isn't bad if you get that guy in, in the mid rounds. I just wouldn't want to be spending a second round pick on the guy. Ah, okay, I can understand. And it's actually funny because uh, some of us, we were talking the other day, when you watch Oklahoma State and you watch some Big Ten schools, it's almost like you scratch your head. It's like, is their field a little wider than everybody else's? <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of just gives you that vibe because, I mean, you look at it and it's like, you know, uh, this is the same TV I watch every other game on. But, man, this one looks a little different. I mean, they're playing a different sport right now in the Big 12. They're, play they're all playing the same coverage and they're all running the same RPOs except for Oklahoma. And it's like, how are you guys doing this? It's basketball. You guys are running the same plays. <laughs> it's great. And, yeah, and the other thing is, is you better be, better be paying well to your defensive coordinator because, you know, I can imagine, you know, a guy in the world says, well, I don't want to go coach defense in the Big 12. <laughs> I mean, you want to hang your hat on the fact you held somebody to 40. And they're all, as I said, they're running the same stuff. The same, you see from the Big 12, they'll all run cover four, and then they'll run the same fire zone blitz where they drop down, they'll move a safety somewhere into a hole, and that's it. And that's the game plan. It's like, wait, we're paying these guys how much a year to get lit up and run three three coverages? Great. 
Exactly. You know, and you know, I mean, and the other thing is, you know, I guess you get recruited there as a quarterback, a cornerback, and you say, man, I, I really hope they're going to put me on the offensive side of the ball. I really, you know, you almost hope somebody goes down, or you know, somebody, you know, the grades don't pan out, so maybe you can get your shot on the offensive side of the ball because you're just going to get winded. You know, playing in the secondary in the Big Twelve. Those cornerbacks are weird breeds, though, man. Those guys are different characters. I think they probably are like I relish the challenge. Probably by when you're a junior and you know you're not going to the league and you've had to watch a thousand yards go over your head. That's probably not so fun. But I bet coming in that they, they relish the challenge. Oh, of course. Well, you know, any any cornerback with a grain of salt, uh, you know, absolutely does. Ali, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, let everybody know, you know, what you have coming up here in the next couple of weeks. You know, obviously, I'm sure you're probably going to go more draft specific here, uh, you know, as the weeks go on. But let everybody know what, you know, what then they can expect coming out from you. Yes, we just did the editorial meeting. We actually booked out the next couple of months. So, yeah, it's a ton of draft stuff coming up. I was all excited to write about Christian Wilkins and Clellan Farrell, but somehow, I don't want to say how much money, but Darbo did something to get those guys back to school. I don't know what's going on at Clemson, so maybe we'll shelf that one for a little bit. Um, but, yeah, we're going to have deep dives on Rosen, um, and most of the quarterbacks I didn't get to during the season will have that coming up soon. So um, there's a million websites. I, I forget where I write half the time. So um, if you just follow me on Twitter, then I, I will tweet out the links to all the stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's an amazing job with the most when he did. I mean, to, to just basically re-recruit these guys yet again. I don't know if they already have, you know, maybe the uh, you know the new freshman class of young ladies that are headed down to Death Valley, and they guys were maybe able to get a head start and see who's coming. But, I mean, that was just an amazing job. And you know what? I mean, but that, that's what Dabo's done, and that's where I, his program is where it's at. These guys just absolutely love him. And, you know, I guess they're willing to take a bullet for him and take some risk for him, you know? They have four 2019 first-rounders on their defensive line. <laughs> they are going to have two top-five picks on their defensive line. And the defensive line has the number one recruit in the nation as a freshman coming in. They're probably going to be good. Uh, yeah, I, I think things should be should be a good season, which hurts for me because the Florida State fan in me, it, it, it kind of I hate to Ouch. see the shift of power. I do hate to see it, but you know, a guy like Dabo, he, he's hard to hate on, and you know, I mean, God bless him, he's he's doing his thing down there, and he's doing it well. Uh, again, Ali, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I know you're going to be a busy man here for the next few months between your voice and your hands. You know, don't get any carpal tunnel. Make sure you're <laughs> drinking plenty of tea to keep the voice nice and honey soft, Boris. Uh, thanks, man. Anytime. All right, guys, Locked On Browns, episode 147. I want to thank Ali Conley for his time. Uh, we're going to have some uh, previews here. I'm going to actually I have it lined up where we're going to get somebody from each of the four teams remaining on this week so we can give you for you from that. So, you know, us Browns fans, we can get a little taste of what Championship Sunday is like from some guys that we all know and like. Uh, Locked On Browns, let's go Browns. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a great night.